come to kindergarten chaos. The Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we have a really interesting interview for you. We talked with Dr. Megan McDonald of Oregon State University about a study she did where she found that preschoolers with better fine and gross motor skills had better social behavior and executive function by the end of the year. It's very interesting. You know, it's interesting. Back when you went to kindergarten, the um, test when we were enrolling you in kindergarten, the test was up in the gym, and they had eight centers that you had to go to, and all of them were cross-body, fine and gross motor skills. Like you had to walk a balance beam, and when you had to bounce a ball to a wall and catch it to a wall and catch it. And when you had to I kind of take... remember this now. All yeah, of do you a remember sudden. that? Yeah. Yeah. And when you had to take um I don't know if you've seen them, but they're those wire things and there's beads and you have to mm-hmm. pull the beads along the wires mm-hmm. and try it's like a maze for the beads and you have to get the bead from one end to the other and I can't remember all of them. It was a long time ago. Sorry you're kinda old. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me really old. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought it was kind of weird because I'm like, okay, that's what they're testing is. Oh, and one was climbing a rope. I'm sure I failed at that one. Oh, you did fail at that (laughs) one. (laughs) I think you got your feet. Nope, you didn't get them off the floor. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. And so anyway, it was really fun, and the kids loved it. I mean, that was a great introduction to kindergarten. And after I ended up teaching at that school three years later, after you went to kindergarten there, and so then I joined in on that, and I found out why they did it and what their whole purpose was, because the experience of two of the veteran teachers there that had taught there for 20 years, so they'd obviously taught there since the 60s and they said that they found that they could tell where a kid's level academically was by how they were on those gross and fine motor skills well and now we have some research finding the exact same thing that those teachers found through experience yeah but i do want to say just because you couldn't climb a rope you could read (laughs) (laughs) when you when you were there taking that gross motor well thank goodness because i never got any better at climbing ropes but i did get better and better at reading so there's hope for me (laughs) there's There's hope hope. so what are some things you do in your class right now to help kids with their fine and gross motor skills well one thing i love to do is i love to do construct activities First off, I think construct activities are adorable. I like to make things out of paper. Today we made a turkey out of paper. And um, when I introduced that center, I sang it. I made up a song to the guitar of how to make the turkey. I've never had such great art in my whole life. I'm going to certainly do that again. Because I'm sitting there strumming on the guitar. And I said, first you take a big brown paper and cut a big circle. And then you find a little brown paper and cut a little circle. And then what do you think you do next? You glue the little circle on the big circle. 
And I sang through the whole step by step of making the construct turkey. <laughs> now, besides being a cute turkey and seasonal, there was a lot of fine motor to that. Besides listening steps of, of um, listening to the order that they had to do things and going, then going and being able to do that there was a lot of fine motor to it. And so I really like doing that because it really builds the muscles to cut, to glue, to um, position the paper together. And so that's one of my favorite things to do. What else do you do? Oh, I like to have lots of Legos and little manipulative toys like are in most early ed classrooms. One thing that I think is really important is to get kids working outside and I just got a grant from Donors Choose that are some outdoor outdoor toys that the monster cloppers because the kids are having to use their hands and their large those motor are those skills. Cup things that they stand yeah, on those plastic that, cups and they hold a string and then they lift the string while they lift their foot, kind of like stilts, kind of right. Yeah, those monster clompers that you can just make out of cans and rope. I think all Boy Scouts <laughs> have to make those. <laughs> I remember doing them as a den mom. And those are great because kids are using all of their muscles when they're doing those. I got some pogo stick hoppers. Those are also great because the kids have to pull up on them while they're jumping to make them work. And so I think making the most of outside, really teaching kids how to do monkey bars. And in my old school, we had a really cool set of the old-fashioned monkey bars on the playground. And what we did, because it was a kindergarten center, so, you know, all the children were near the same size, we lowered it down. We had maintenance come, and they cut it all the way down, so the kids were really only off the ground, maybe uh, six to eight That's inches. That's nice because those monkey bars, oh, if you don't have a kindergarten height monkey bars, they're so dangerous. They're really They're like dangerous. the and number one risk on the playground if they're the wrong size. They are, and adults spend their time. If you want a kid to learn how to use a monkey bar, the adults have to walk along holding the kid. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my gosh, those were so popular, and kids were on them all the time because they were now having all that success. So... If I had the ability now, I would definitely take a hacksaw cut down to some a monkey bars. bar on a playground <laughs> because rarely do I see a kid on the monkey bars in my Because they have now. to be the appropriate well, height. They're, too, they're made for bigger kids usually. Well, they're made for an adult. If I did those monkey bars, my feet would not be touching <laughs> the ground. And so, oh man, that was great. And kids can develop such strong arm and arm and wrist and hand muscles on um, monkey bars. So I think encouraging my students to try all that kind of stuff. And I think probably my favorite, favorite fine motor development skill is using the Elmer's glue white glue bottle. I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> I know, because, <laughs> you know, gl the glue sponges are, you know, they're great for teachers and they're great for management. And so if you love the glue sponges, go for it. But what you're missing out on is the children, every time they use the glue bottle, they have to open the little orange lid, they have to squeeze the glue, they have to close the orange lid. You know, I found that I have a couple messy days and then it's finished with the glue bottles. 
And if you really teach kids to shut the glue bottles, which is the purpose, you know, that's the fine motor. Twisting the cap is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, they're not messy. So what are some ways that you incorporate fine motor and gross motor skills into your academic activities? Well, I like to do a lot of kinesthetic activities. In my school, we have an invent, uh, an intervention hour we call power hour, where the whole um, kindergarten block works together. And we, have we to still haven't talked about that Because I'm always talking about it. <laughs> but anyway, at that one, I'm right now currently working with the kids that have the most need in the whole kindergarten. And so to keep their interests going and to make sure that I'm teaching all modalities of their brain, I like to do a lot of active kinesthetic games. Today, for example, I was doing a rhyming game and I showed them a card and they had to tell me a word that rhymed, you know, mm-hmm. typical boring type game. <laughs> and so I, what I did was I took a balance beam and so then after they told me the rhyme, they had to walk all across the balance beam and then sit in a chair until the next student came and walked across the balance beam to save them, and then they walked on the balance beam back. And because I had three in the group, you know, I w- one kid was always working on the skill of rhymes, mm-hmm. but they had all that extra stuff instead of just sitting there waiting for the next, you know, the other two kids to take their turn. They actually were going and getting some gross motor development. And I like to do, um, I've got that game about blending with the basketball. And that's one of my very favorite things is kids actually feeling the word breaking apart as they bounce the ball and say, ka, at, and so then you, shoot the basketball. So you give them a, how does that work? You show them a picture of a word, right? Mm-hmm. And then, or, or just say the or word. Or just say a word and they have to break up the word and bounce the basketball for every sound in the word and then shoot a basket in like a mm-hmm. child size basketball hoop, right? That's a fun one. Yeah. And before I do that one, I do the blending. So then I'm doing the bouncing and they're catching it. So um, then they're ready, more ready to, to segment. So you would say done... like at as you bounce the ball and then toss yeah. it to so them. So I'll bounce then... it and say cat and then throw it to them and then they catch it and say cat. Mm-hmm. And then they throw it back to me, and then I'll just do it to the next kid. So I do that for blending, and we do that several times. And then when they're, um, they've are they mastered blending and we move on to segmenting, then they're ready to do their bouncing. Which is fun. They, they like that it's one. It's fun. They love it. And so I just like to add all kinds of twists of, I've got some hopping bags, and, you know, that are like gunny sacks that um, we hop segmenting you know, cut at as they're going along in their hoppers. I got mine from Lakeshore, but you could easily make them because they're like a body bag with handles that are about waist high for the students. Well, I think everybody's going to really enjoy listening to this research. Well, I'm excited. Let's get to the research. (laughs) My name is Megan McDonald, and um, I am an assistant professor at Oregon State University. And so the program that I'm in, I'm in the College of Public Health and Human Sciences, but my program is kinesiology. And kinesiology, I assume, is kinesthetic because teachers, that's the word we use all the time is kinesthetic learner. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, it's the study of the human body and movement and human movement in general. So there are all sorts of disciplines within the field of kinesiology. My primary um, program that I work within is adaptive physical activities. So 
The study that I'm going to talk about today is preschoolers, um, typically developing preschoolers, but I typically do a lot of work with children who have various disabilities as well. So hopefully that will be the next study that's up, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Great. Um, what, uh, what's your background? How did you get interested in this? Because it sounds fascinating. Yeah, well, with ADAPT Physical Activity, um, when I was an undergraduate, there was a program uh, at the university, and there were about 100 children with disabilities that came on Saturday mornings, and they were paired up with university student volunteers, and the children ranged in age, including preschoolers um, and individuals who were teenagers and uh, uh, entering into early adulthood, and the program was really working on physical activity with these individuals, um, and uh so that's sort of how I got into adaptive physical activity, and um, over the course of my research and my training as well, um, I really started working a lot with preschoolers mm-hmm. um, and learning a little bit about how physical activity impacts various areas of their life, including social behaviors um, uh, and school readiness has sort of been the, the newer piece of that, um, and uh, so that's really how I got into it, and I think for um, children with disabilities, Early intervention is so critical, too. So learning what we can about preschoolers without disabilities is really helpful um, to sort of take that next step, we hope, of this study, too. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the study and how many kids were in it and what the controls were and how you got it started? Yeah, so this was a team study. um, And at Oregon State University, within our college, we have various faculty from various backgrounds. So two of the faculty, um, two of the co-authors on this study are in the human development and family sciences field, uh, Shannon Lipscomb and Megan McColland. Um, And then we also worked with colleagues who work more closely with environmental science. So this was actually a part of a larger study um, where we were really, we were going into the homes and learning a little bit about environmental influences, but also really looking at other social behaviors, uh, school readiness, and then my piece of it was really the motor piece and what sort of motor skills the the participants were doing. So we had about, um, what we did was we tracked these children, they were between three and five years old, and uh, we went into their preschools and also into their homes, and we were sort of studying them over the course of one preschool year. Um, so at that time, we took measures uh, on things like school readiness. Um, so we looked at uh, what we call executive functions, their ability to pay attention, wait in line, um, put their hand up when that's something that they're asked to do, uh, and also various social behaviors um, like cooperation, compliance, um, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And then we also tested their motor skills at that time too. Um, so we were able to look at a variety of factors within the home and within the preschool and also their motor skills to sort of look at how we could better understand um, their school readiness skills um, for those that were maybe entering into school the next year. So um, the study took place, it took place over the course of the year, but we essentially tested the children in the fall of their preschool year and then at the end of their preschool year. And that really helped us determine um, this study that came to light. And so we looked at some of the predictive factors um, that were better associated or related to their school readiness skills. And we found that various motor skills uh, really impacted um, school readiness skills. So that was, we were pretty excited about that, um, especially because we had a relatively large sample with about 92 children. 92 exactly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know that number now. <laughs> yeah. 
So what it was able to do is really take a piece of um, various faculty that were associated with this project and sort of come together um, to do this bigger project. And and typically, you know, there's certainly a, there are groups um, of researchers that are starting to look at motor skills and relationships with school readiness, but we felt um, like this was really unique in a lot of ways because we were all coming at it from various backgrounds and. Um, we were able to use more comprehensive measures of motor skills in this study. And actually, one of the measures that we used in this study for school readiness, it's called the head, toes, and knee, shoulders task. And um, it's, it's, it's like Simon says, um, but we sort of ask children to reverse what they're doing. So if we say, touch your head, you actually have to touch your shoulders and those sorts of things, or touch your toes, now I'm gonna to mix it up a little bit, but it's something <laughs> like that. So we changed the rules a little bit on the children, and we know from other studies, and actually one of the co-authors on this paper, that that's really predictive of um, children's executive function, ultimately their school readiness skills. So what we were able to do um, was relate how, how, that, how those associated with um, children's motor skills in this study. Um, and so it was a fun study to do because we got to play a lot of activities with the kids and uh, get to know them a little bit. Um, but we're also really excited about what this could mean moving forward and, and what this could mean within classrooms, um, within preschool classrooms and also um, within kindergarten classrooms too. Um, we talk a lot about social behaviors of school readiness skills and um, you know paying attention and respect to school readiness skills. And I think that one of the things that you know, we also know that kids at that age, they're, they're moving is a part of who they are, being mm -hmm. physically active, learning various motor skills. And when we think about some of those kids in preschool or some of those, you know, young children on the school playground, um, there are lots of games and activities that are taking place. But if you don't have the functional skills, the motor skills to sort of partake in those activities or games, it might be another deterrent to sort of stay away from it. So although this study wasn't comprehensive in that respect, we didn't go into the schools and observe the children on the playground, it's possible that some of the results from this study might lead to a study like that where we sort of go in and learn more about, you know, how we can teach these skills. And I think the other really exciting thing for me about this study is that um, we can teach motor skills at a really young age. And sometimes, you know, um, there's so many, there's so many things that we're always trying to do at the same time, but motor skills are also something really tangible. Going to the playground in the park and playing with your child is, you know, something that we can all do or um, playing at your house, um, playing at the school and sort of providing those opportunities and, and children, it's fun for kids to participate mm -hmm. in too. So, so we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. I, I think it's really exciting to see because I think a lot of teachers have kind of a gut feeling of how important motor skills are. And it's so nice to see some research that backs that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, is one of those things that we all know that it's important. Um, and there's certainly one within school, there's physical education that children are participating in. Um, and then there are, there are activity breaks during the day, like recess. But we also see that sometimes those can be, um, classes and opportunities that might be taken away for one reason or the other. Maybe there's a school assembly and mm -hmm. that's a class that might not be available that day. Um, and we, we really know that that is important. And so that's, it's exciting to sort of see these results because I think it's showing that this is really important early mm -hmm. in life. Um, and we sort of want to continue creating, um, 
continue creating opportunities for children to practice those skills and enjoy those skills, that it's something that's more lifelong for that. And um, I also think that um, just in December of this past year, the Every Student Succeeds Act was passed Mm -hmm. and physical education. So these are school-based, this is a a school-based act and physical education is now listed as um, a part of a well-rounded education, which is sort of uh, one of the courses that's replacing, or well-rounded is kind of replacing what we used to call core subjects. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's some movement, you know, um, from a a policy perspective that physical activity and physical education are important. But, you know, this is really also um, showing that it's important early on for very young children, too. Yeah. And I noticed in the study, and I think you mentioned earlier that you said there were certain fine motor and gross motor skills that really were tied to the executive function. Which, which skills were they when you? Yeah. So visual motor skills were more tied to executive function. So those are skills like, um, copying shapes and manipulating objects. Um, Mm -hmm. and in some ways that actually makes a lot of sense, um, because, um, they're sort of from a neurocognitive perspective, there are there are overlapping pieces that might kind of tie those two things together. Um, but again, those are skills that we can work on copying mm-hmm. shapes and, and drawing and playing with small blocks and building toys. I mean, those are um, often in preschool classrooms. Those are the types of activities that might be available mm-hmm. for really young children. And then uh, social behaviors were more aligned with object manipulation skills. So those are ball skills um, like passing back and forth, reciprocal um, so in some ways, it, it, again, it's relatively intuitive, that idea of reciprocal interaction um, mm-hmm. and, and passing activities back and forth. So uh, we thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I, you also, you controlled for socioeconomic status, right? When you, how did you do, how did you control to make sure there wasn't an effect there? Yeah, so part of what we did with this, we... Um, we just included that in our statistical models. So um, in this case, we actually, we controlled for it using, um, we had some of our kids were in Head Start programs, which Mm -hmm. is a federally funded um, preschool program. And so that has strong associations with socioeconomic status. So we just included that variable in our statistical analysis. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered, and, and did you notice, I mean, this may be outside of the scope of the study, but did you do you notice if there's any difference between the um, amount of gross motor and fine motor skills kids in lower socioeconomic status have than kids in higher? Is there a correlation so you notice? Our study we didn't specifically look at that, but other mm-hmm. studies have have definitely shown that. And obviously, you know, we talk about this really generally. Um, in this case, but certainly there have been indications that those opportunities often can create better motor skills. Um, and uh, we have seen in, in certain studies that lower socioeconomic status has, um, we do see sometimes uh, motor skills that still need to be developed. Okay. I wondered about yeah. that when I saw that you yeah. controlled for it. Well, we also controlled for it because we also know that there, um, we wanted to make sure when we're looking at social behaviors and executive function too, that those are things that we can control for. So, you know, we had a relatively small sample, so there are lots of other things that um, would have been interesting to control for if we had bigger numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, in this case, we chose Head Start status. Okay. Yeah. 
So after you've done the study, what would be your advice to preschool and kindergarten teachers who want to use this study in their teaching? I think the biggest thing for me is that motor skills are really important when we talk more broadly about school readiness. And I think it's really easy to think about um, sometimes like, I say abstract, but when we think about social behaviors, like how do we teach a really specific social behavior other than allowing children to have practice and correcting and providing opportunities for those social behaviors and peer interactions. Um, And similarly with executive function, it can be a relatively abstract concept to sort of wrap your head around. So for me, knowing that motor skills are related and associated and really important with that, these are tangible skills that we know that we can teach. And it could be as simple as, you know, um, allowing opportunity, teaching hopping skills, playing hopscotch or jumping over a line or, you know, providing organized games, but also um, unstructured games for children to self-organize, you know, the games once they learn some of these skills too. And so I think that just knowing that physical activity and motor skills are important in school readiness, it gives us another content area to think about. Um, when we're providing opportunities for really young children. And and I think that it provides a really fun content area mm-hmm. to think about, too. And, um, and, you know, I think the kids like it. I think um, I think that teachers will really like it. And, and like I said, we also know that I know physical activity for me is how I self-regulate. Mm-hmm. And so just making sure that we include that in um, – in the preschool day um, for really young children and in the kindergarten day too, that we provide those opportunities for kids, that it's all sort of comes together and better prepares kids for school. I think about, um, I did my graduate degree in Michigan and the common, you know, schoolyard activity there was four square. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time I was working a lot with children with developmental disabilities and those skills, um, playing on the playground and working with peers is, I mean, it's so much fun and it's an opportunity that we want for all of our children. So, um, but approaching kids on the playground can be really difficult to join into the game, but we can teach, we can teach kids how to play four square. We can teach the passing skills that are involved. We can teach the rules that are involved. And all of a sudden, because of that, we start to see, you know, shared experiences in this game or activity that they're doing. We see, um, social behaviors that are presenting themselves, requesting to be part of the game, making eye contact. Um, and uh, just sharing more generally that the fun that that is um, for kids. So we want to really, um, yeah, start early and make sure that we're giving those experiences um, to children at a young age. I think that's such great advice. And I, as you're talking, I keep thinking about uh, my mom used to teach in Idaho, and I was teaching in Utah at the same time, both kindergarten, and we yeah. both had to give a assessment a pre-assessment at the beginning of kindergarten and my assessment was which letters do you know which sounds do you know which color which not colors colors wasn't on there which numbers do you know (laughs) and her assessment in Idaho was can you walk on a balance beam can Mm -hmm. you throw a ball can you and it was so different and I I always envied hers a little bit. (laughs) Well, and now it's sort of providing that. I think that, and maybe we all kind of knew that in one way or another, but this sort of provides some evidence to show that this too is really important and a part of that um, package when we're really 
preparing kids to go to school and I think while they're out school too but obviously this study is really about those earlier years um, before they're getting ready to go to school yeah Yeah. and and like I said you know the study is a lot of fun we don't have a lot of resistance when we go and ask the kids to participate in these (laughs) motor skill activities when we're (laughs) collecting data so you know that of course is really enjoyable and we learn a lot from that too um and I think as well you know it gives us um an opportunity to try out different games. Uh, in, in this study, we went into the children's home um, and also to their preschool and, and you know, we'll go into various homes to perform these assessments. And so we would have to be creative about how we were playing these activities because obviously if you're in a, a smaller space, that can be a little bit tricky. But what was really interesting is that it was kind of easy once we got really creative about it. And I think that that's really important to remember that you know, regardless of the space and place where we're at, we can be really creative and in mm-hmm. these opportunities, and they might look a little bit different depending on where we are. But um, you know, that does mean that um, all all kids really um, have access to these opportunities too. If we're if we're just a little creative with how we present it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they don't always have to be the colorful balls. <laughs> It can be the simpler ones, too, or, you know, um, various activities throughout the house. So, yeah, I think it's really important. And I think, too, you know, it really speaks to it was I think it was exciting to see for me, um, certainly to see physical education included in the Every Student Succeeds Act that was passed. And I think, again, when we talk about preschool and movement, this is really um, it speaks to that that piece of a well-rounded education, preschool education, too. Yeah. 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 So now I'm curious how you uh, adapted an activity for a smaller space. Do you have an example of something you did? Yeah. Well, in Oregon, it rains a lot. So <laughs> that, you know, going outside is definitely an option. And that was an option that we, um, within the, within the, the house. And, uh, that was definitely an option that it was an opportunity, but, um, actually, uh, in apartments, um, hallways, Mm-hmm. were really helpful too um and so that would get a little bit we would get a little bit creative with that as well and those were probably the spaces that we found the most often I remember not for this project but another project that I was working on um we did sort of take over the courtyard of an apartment building at one time <laughs> to try and finish up the assessment but uh yeah it was just it was a really um a really fun study to do in a great group of people and I also think what was cool for me for this study was certainly the findings of this study, but I also, um, the, you notice that there are a number of authors on this study and, you know, I think together, um, we can, we were able to be creative and, and think about questions like motor skills and, and how that impacted school readiness. And there are other studies that will be coming out from this bigger project that are really looking at environmental influences and how that affects social behaviors. And I think because we're all kind of coming at it from a slightly different perspective, we can really think about some bigger problems um, and hopefully solve some of those bigger problems together too. Yeah, that's exciting. That must be so exciting for you to be working on. Yeah, really exciting and definitely a great group of people. So yeah. So yeah. if anybody wants to find the study, I'll put a I'll put a link to the article. Okay. Um, is there is there anywhere else people can follow you and keep up on the studies you're doing and 
Yeah, most of the time they're pretty linked um, with our uh, with my faculty page at Oregon State University. Um, so I think if you go to OregonState.edu and Google Megan McDonald, it should <laughs> pop up. I think the other name is relatively long, but if you go to OregonState.edu um, and Google my name, some of these studies will pop up. And um, uh, and um, you can also, at a certain point, you'll be able to op- uh, access the study open access. Um, so that means that our university library will also have it um, publicly available. We're right. hopeful that that will happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that would be nice. To, that yeah. will be exciting when you, we can look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing the study. I really am excited about it. I had a principal once who said, I'll let you try anything in your classroom as long as you can show me some research to support it. So <laughs> Here we what go. you've given me. <laughs> That's great. Well, I love it. Well, thanks so much for um, having me on and thanks for the interest in the study. Yeah, thank you. I think that fine motor skills and gross motor skills in this day of academia are something that you know, is easy to let go of if you aren't careful. And so I think that the words of Megan have been great to remind me that fine and gross motor skills are really important to my students' whole academic experience in my classroom. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for being on the podcast and for sharing your research with us. We really appreciate it, and we are so glad to get your research out to everybody. To learn more about us, you can visit us at kindergartenkiosk.com and read our blog where we're trying to get great ideas out to teachers about how to teach in developmentally appropriate ways. And you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. And please, please, please share the podcast with your friends and fellow teachers. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators, by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?